IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travis at Ben T. Travis on the Twitters. Oh no, it's the Boston episode. Well, Liz, I'm slipping a, I should say I'm sipping a Boston lager over here. <laughs> uh, officially from, uh, let's see, Brewer, Patriot, Samuel Adams. It's a Friday <laughs> afternoon. It's been quite a fucking week and I am sipping on an ice cold, well, a moderately chilled beer. And it tastes pretty fucking good. But... More importantly, I'm going to save you some time slash replace the best thing at the end of the episode by starting with a best thing at the start of the episode, and that's the Live By Night trailer, which you watched with me, Liz, right? Ben Affleck's new movie? It looks fucking great. (laughs) I would like to note that you have just broken our F-bomb record in this episode within three minutes and... All through, the, all because of the Boston accent. Well, when you get into character like that, you kind of got to stick with it. <laughs> and it just comes out of you. It's just part of it. So, Ben. Back to Khan, have it yet. That's Liz's favorite one. <laughs> that is my favorite one. Um, so, Ben's brain is stuck in Boston, and I'm huddled under my blankie. And yes, we're having a great week, guys. We're broken. We were, we've been broken. We've, yeah. But uh, fortunately, there is plenty of television to keep us engaged with the world on some level and uh, man did you guys see Westworld last night this is a big spoiler warning we are going to talk in in depth about episode seven of season one of Westworld the episode entitled Trompe le Deux I I I butchered that that's what it's called something like that let me look it up properly Mm. um while Ben you stall double spoiler warning or as my friend Ben Affleck would say double spoiler warning (laughs) Second one, get your fucking ears closed unless you want to hear about what happened in Westworld last night. If you're not caught up, turn it off. Get out. We don't need you. It's going to be a lot of Westworld talk, basically. So Yes. Um, um, the, be, be prepared. Yes. It's, uh, it's the, I'm going to try this again. It's French. Trump, uh, is, uh, it's a Trump Lo. Oh, God. I, I'm so sorry. Liz, I you cannot speak say, French. I Je parle un peu français, mais the words are very confusing to me. Um, no, that seemed good. That, that it, sounded Frenchy to me. I don't, I don't speak a lick of it. The only thing I can say convincingly in French is je, je parle français, which is I speak French. Um, I also can <laughs> Wait, say is je that ne, irony? That might no, be. yeah. Well, I can also say mm-hmm. je ne parle pas français, but you know, it's not as good. Um, I mean, there's a lot of dirty words I could say in French because of Bon Rouge, but that's you know inappropriate for the podcast. We. Oui. Um, <laughs> yes, that's the dirtiest one. Um, so yes, but anyways, whatever the, the the fancy French named episode from last night that you hopefully watched before you listen to this podcast, um, because um, some stuff went down. So consider this your spoiler warning. We are now Thrice. about to, we are going to go into the spoilers, and we are going to dig into the episode's most com- complex, you know, honestly, you know, brain defying moment. Which is why did the horse blow up when the guy blew up? <laughs> I cannot wait for this mystery to be solved, and I'm sure there's a bunch of nerds out there who are gonna tweet at me and tell me why the horse exploded or why robot horses would explode as though they are in an '80s action movie and something got set on fire near a car and the car erupts as though it was an f bomb. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't understand that part. It's very confusing to me. Yes. I honestly think we could spend the entire podcast trying to understand why that happened, but it would just 
somehow break us further. Like we are broken, but that yes. could somehow do more damage. So let's, I guess, is there some, well, something else well, happened, I, right? Yeah, a little bit something else. I mean, it was actually funny because you, you, you watched the episode before me. I did. And you very wisely informed me, Liz, there's this thing that happens in episode seven and you were trying you were trying to tell me and I refused to let you tell me in detail, but finally we got to it. And the question was, why did your question for me that you really needed an answer on was why does the horse explode when the dude explodes in the train the train confrontation midway through the episode? Yes. So we got I got to that scene, I watched that scene here in the office, and I was like I have no good answer. This is clearly a mystery for the ages that will leave us all perplexed for all time. And I was like, so that's all I need to care about, right? That I can, I, you know, do I need to keep watching the episode? And you're like, yeah, you probably should. Just Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you were pretty much going to keep going no matter yeah. what. So it didn't take much encouragement or give anything away for, tell, for me to tell you to keep watching it. Um, but honestly, like, even though, yes, I used that question as a means to get you to watch this, Early. A way to trick me into watching it as early as humanly possible. So we could be best prepared to cover it on IndieWire.com, which you can read about extensively at this very moment, um, including a wonderful interview that Liz conducted with... Sidsay? Sidsay Babette Knudsen, who's... Who, Much better than I can say. Um, I... I actually wrote down the phonetic of it at one point, uh, but I do not have that handy in front of me. Um, right. but, but she, yes, the actress playing Teresa Cullen, the, who runs the who runs uh, the, the QA for for Westworld, and a pivotal figure in the show, and perhaps not so pivotal anymore. Correct. But to continue with it, yeah, yes. that's that's what we're going to get to talking about. That's obviously the big thing that happened. That being said, I really did want to understand. I did want to hear your answer about the horse. It, it, so no, it was it, both it, an honest question and a deceptive means I, to dig you into the episode. No, it was very fair. I mean, like, because the reason the guy exploded was because this is one of the corpses that Lawrence had brought along with him on the train that's filled with nitroglycerin. Right. It makes sense for the dude to explode. Absolutely. But then the horse explodes there are underneath two him. Separate explosions. Yes. It's not like he explodes and then the the horse like is caught in that explosion. There are two distinct explosions. Yes. No, you are completely correct on this, and it makes no sense for the horse to explode as well. No. If you have an answer for why the horse explodes, please do yell at Ben on Twitter. Well, vet yourself, okay? Like, I don't want any nonsense that is, like, clearly just made up for the sake of, like... Yelling at you? Of, of yelling at me and convincing yourself that Westworld is perfect and they wouldn't make a weird they, technical error like this um it's such a deliberately weird technical error though like somebody had to sit down and animate that horse exploding because right. hopefully they did not explode a real horse correct yeah. maybe maybe actually what if what if it turns out the horses have been explosive this whole time twist i mean it's a legitimate argument to be made that these robots could just have material whatever they're constructed of that would cause them to explode however the, since we watch them get built at the beginning of every episode in the credit sequence, uh, as well as various other points throughout, it doesn't seem like there's been no nothing notably flammable or nothing that you'd look at and be like, man, that's uh, I could see why that would just cause a giant explosion to occur. Not to mention like the impracticalities of having something be that explosive when you're in uh, a park filled with civilians. Like there's no way to safeguard against an explosion. Like if you accidentally light a cigarette cl too close to the horse's mouth and the horse decides to eat it or whatever the fuck happens that causes a horse to explode. But guess what? That park goer is dead. You can't protect against explosion like you can against bullets. So it's very impractical. Okay, we've gone on about this for quite a long amount of time. And we I apologize. We, 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 yeah. Also, by the way, Bernard's a robot. <laughs> right. <laughs> so 
Let's, I guess, talk about the fact that Bernard was revealed to be a robot last night. Yes. And it was, I mean, I got to say, I thought it was a pretty great scene for something that people have been predicting on and off for a while now. People have um, been very interested, very convinced that Bernard was a robot. Exactly. And, and even, like, with that in mind, like, with those fan theories floating out there, even though both Liz and I have tried to avoid these fan theories, um, with those floating out there, I still thought the scene played out very well. Like, as something where if you hadn't thought of it, it would be very satisfying. It would be a very juicy twist. I love the shot of the designs for Bernard, like the designed robot of Bernard, like being on the schematics and then him looking up and being like, I don't understand or I can't interpret. This doesn't look like anything to me. Exactly, yeah. What a great, great phrase. Well, it's Um, a great phrase, but what's what's beautiful about it is that that's the key word used by all 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 the robots within Westworld when they are confronted by something they are programmed not to react to. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why, which is honestly, I think that's like, when you hear that, that's like, oh, this is, there's no question, there's no denying this. Right, it's the great one-two kicker. You see the designs, you think to yourself, oh shit. Then you hear the phrase and you're like, oh shit. And then you realize kind of the calamity that this woman has been trapped in. Like right. what, what horrible situation she's stuck within, and then you get the fulfillment of the promise earlier that there would be a blood sacrifice in this mm-hmm. episode, and guess who, unfortunately, was? Aw, yeah. poor Teresa. Poor Teresa. Yes, uh, and in my interview with her, it was actually really interesting because, you know, I was, like, asking her what it was like to film that scene. I kind of expected her to say, oh, it was really tough because she, you know, clearly, of course, built up a rapport with Jeffrey Wright because they, they had been paired romantically for all these episodes, and... She's like, oh, it was so fun, and I'm like, that's that's not what I was expecting. But it, it like it's three really great actors, and all three of them get such work to play with, like such material to work with, and so it's all of it's so meaty and dense, and also so dramatic and interesting, and so yeah, I. Yeah, like I, I, when she explained it like that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, like it's it's an incredible scene, and you can you can it the impact it has on the show is is quite memorable. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I don't know if I don't remember if I've said this before, if I've brought this up before, but I feel like Anthony Hopkins deserves a strong amount of praise for his performance in the sense that he does not go over the top with this character. Like he is slowly being revealed as a somewhat diabolical evil scientist and i mean he's really living in that moment and especially in a scene with these two actors most notably jeffrey wright who is a very understated nuanced quiet performer he is somebody who really dials it back for most of his work to kind of match that level from a man who we know can go you know crazy silence of the lambs over the top um which wasn't really over the top, but you know what I'm getting yeah. at. Um, to him, to have them kind of spar within that that zone, within that range against each other and have it be so satisfying. I, I give a lot of credit to all of the performers, most notably for me, Anthony Hopkins. You know, Anth- it's it's funny, like I, as the person doing the weekly reviews, I've, I, I tend to watch every episode multiple times uh, in writing. Uh, and the thing with Anthony Hopkins' scenes is that they're always worth rewatching with a real attention to detail because he is doing stuff in his acting. It's like there's such flair and subtlety to what his choices. Like it's so nuanced and so dynamic 
in in just like the little moments, the little inflections he gives things, and the little gestures yeah. he makes. And it's so it, you can you can break it down on a micro level and really find stuff to appreciate. Well, especially in regards to the twist, which we can get into a little bit now, that you know they they knew what happened earlier in the episode in which we watched this. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I always forget her name. The robot. Uh, the, the other prostitute robot. Clementine. Clementine. I don't know why I can – it's such a perfect Western name. I can never hold on to it. Anyway. It's okay. We watched that, and we found out that that was a staged, you know, display, like a, a stunt put yeah. on to try to, you know, show the control and take control back from this creator. But he knew it was a stunt, and so did Bernard. Like, both of them were aware of what was going on in that scene. So when you get that knowledge later on, when you realize that he was aware throughout this entire display that it was uh, something that something else, something that he that you're not aware of while you're watching it the first time, you see that glint in Anthony Hopkins' eye. You see the way he's looking at the situation ah. and breaking it down, and it gives you a whole new respect, whole new you know appreciation of what went into that. Because at the time, you did get the sense that he was he had something going on. Like either he was either holding back anger because he was really pissed off that this was happening and they were trying to steal you know, something from him. Or he was scheming, mm-hmm. or both, or what actually played out in which he was just recognizing what was being put out in front of him and just kind of sitting back and waiting for his opportunity. So, again, yeah, I mean, Hopkins just owns. I mean, just so impressive. Yeah. But let, let's go. let's go to discussing the actual twist a bit because I feel like first things first – does the fact that a lot of people saw this coming invalidate it or make it less interesting? Well, I wanted to ask you that specifically because I've remembered you saying to me a couple of times throughout this run that you really hoped Bernard was not a robot. You really didn't want him to be a robot. Right. And because this fan theory was so predominant, and even though we tried to avoid it, like we said, it came up, you had that in the back of your head. So when it happened, I was curious what your reaction was. And luckily I was sitting here next to you kind of watching, but it wasn't as obvious to I, me. So I'm curious what Well, I believe I believe you I believe you were you were watching me and also we were chatting on Slack a bit and you were like, This isn't I was I, I kinda laughed out loud, I think, at one point mm-hmm. and you, you were like, That was not what I was expecting. Um but nope. it was kind of the laugh of laugh of resignation, um, because, you know, yeah, okay, he's a robot now. Like, everyone's right. Liz's dreams are ruined. That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I think the issue, and, and this is and this is maybe a superficial way of coming at it, and I think this is, but I think it, what it opens up is the big, much bigger question surrounding the show, is Bernard becoming a, Bernard was a character I'd really come to like, and I, I can't even really put my finger on why. He just kind of seemed like, an interesting, thoughtful person. He had, he had, you know, he had his tragic backstory. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I'm looking forward to the explanation of like, is Gina Torres like a robot, or is she just like an actress he's paid, who's paid to interact with him mm. on some level? Like, I'd love an answer on that. Um, and so there's a lot of questions, but I think the big thing was, oh well, Bernard's a robot, which means that he's not. A real character anymore like that's I guess or he's not someone I can necessarily empathize with because he's under Ford's control completely like he's programmed to do the things he does and then this builds out that this of course is the exact crux of what the show is trying to figure out is trying to dig into which is 
you know, what is free will? What is predestination? What is, you know, if if we're programmed, if we as humans are programmed to behave in certain ways, like, does that make us less likable? Like, these are huge existential questions to some degree. Um, but but in, in Bernard's specific case, it made me question, like, is this a character I can continue identifying with and being intrigued by and rooting for if I know that he is completely under the thrall of another character? Well, the answer to that to me is yes, and that's mainly because of the timing of this reveal in the story. Because we have seen two other characters who are robots who are trying to split from it, and we have, at least I have, an incredible amount of empathy and interest and compassion for what Dolores is doing and for what Tandy Newton's character is doing. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, like, if if it weren't for their storylines, I'd be much more concerned. But the fact is, is that... I think Bernard is Bernard has gone from being kind of an interesting bystander in this question of like are the robots becoming more human than human and he is now like the central figure of it. And theoretically, like there's that scene I think I think 2 weeks ago where Dolores is in uh Dolores is in the lab and she's just gotten done speaking with Ford and then Ford leaves and she says to someone off screen, he doesn't know. And we never see who she's talking to. Like, she, I, I didn't tell him anything. He doesn't know. And theoretically, that person is Bernard. Theoretically, like, Bernard has already been working secretly to kind of overcome his programming. And Dolores is one way in which he's been trying to do that. But all of this is, like, a lot of stuff that we're not going to really get to unpack until we get more, until probably, who knows, episode 8, episode 9, episode 10, whatever. What it, it's clearly part of the season endgame. Right, but I, I mean, to me, the, the bigger point of it is, like you mentioned, losing the tragic backstory of Bernard with his son and with his, with even, uh, you know, with his relationships, losing that tragic backstory is fine because it's immediately replaced by a new tragic backstory of him being forced to do things that he does not want to do mm-hmm. or that is not something that is typical of his character like this is not something that we would have expected from him and it's obviously not something he would have chosen to do without being commanded to do so by his evil overlord Robert Ford Um, so he has a new tragic backstory that is to me as empathetic because you're hoping for him to be free like you're hoping for these people to find freedom and to find satisfaction because it seems like they are crossing the threshold of having humanity within them like they are becoming more humid as they go the interesting thing and the scary thing to me is that because of the way this show is constructed and because of how many theories are out there and how many twists and how many possibilities are still available, there can be decisions made later on that would affect even this, that that we could keep kind of rewriting history as we learn more twists. Like we could keep having to go back and be like, oh, well, that's not actually what I thought was happening. So that either validates or invalidates, you know, your feelings in the moment or for that character or for the storyline. Um, if, for instance, I don't want to put out fan theories, but the point being, things can happen in this that drastically change your interpretation of what's been going on, including this big twist in Episode 7. We're only in Episode 7. You know more is coming before we're done with this season by Episode 10. So, <laughs> I mean, kind of preparing yourself for that mentally where this is not a show that is necessarily reliant on twists. I like having these big moral discussions. I like talking to people and getting that feedback about whether or not you do have empathy for a robot or you do have empathy for somebody who is not in control of their emotions. I love having these big kind of moral questions to to be answered. But at the same time, 
I think the visceral reaction and the thing that people will hold on to for this episode isn't so much a strong emotional connection to Bernard, but oh my God, what a twist. Mm -hmm. Like whether they predicted it or not, oh my God, it was such a big twist. And I feel like that's what the filmmakers were going for, or I should say the creators were going for. Um, So will they keep driving towards that? And will we become more and more twist dependent as the series continues? No, it's a really good point. And I think it speaks to one of the reasons why I don't love fan theories, which is that uh, I don't, fan theories are great, when you when for to have, but when you get obsessed with predicting the twists, you stop talking about why the twists happen and their their execution. And at the same time, that applies to the creators. If they stop thinking about the big moral questions and are worried so much about hiding or or establishing twists to come, then they too will get distracted from some of the bigger elements within this story. And I think that's part of why, like, part of why I think the the end of the episode is so successful is because it's you know. It's not just the reveal that Bernard is a robot. It's also the reveal. It's also the fact that Bernard is so under Ford's control that he can just flat out murder uh, a woman that he theoretically, theoretically his programming had it, it in his programming was quite a bit of fondness. Um, and so that scene was that scene I found pretty hard to watch just because I'd been I'd been enjoying them as a couple, uh, but. The fact that the fact that the fact that one twist came with such a punch of a death uh, was really, I think, essential. Like, yeah. if, if it had just been like, "Oh no, Bernard's a robot," cut to black, like that wouldn't have pl- had any sort of the same impact. Because what was so important was not just the fact that Bernard is a robot, but Bernard is a robot out of control of yeah. his own actions. And it does bring up kind of an interesting parallel, which I don't think was necessarily what they were going for. I don't think it's necessarily what they're hoping we're thinking about in this instance. But like you said, because these two are in a relationship, this constitutes some sort of weird form of spousal abuse. And then if you're going to think about this as a, in a real-world context of a husband or a boyfriend abusing or killing their girlfriend, spouse, whatever, what would take away their influence? What would be something where you could argue, well, it wasn't really them. It was something else that motivated them to do this. They would never have done that. And then you think about drugs and alcohol and all these other things that like kind of would play into that Wow, scenario. that's a parallel. And again, I don't think it's a parallel that they want you to have. But if you're thinking about them as a couple and you were actually invested in them as a couple and then you have to watch that happen, that reversal happen, right? it kind of comes back to you on how much do you believe he's out of control? Like, how much do you believe it was totally not his choice? And how much can you, even if you mentally know that, even if you recognize that that's the intention of the show, how much can you viscerally identify that in the moment and and react without being, you know, not disgusted, but, you know, upset or uh, turned off in a bad way, you know? Well, I think, and I think this speaks to one of the most important elements of, of the scene, which is the fact that, her death is very final. She is very clearly she is very clearly dead. Um, but the actual violence of the act is relatively is pretty much off not off screen but subdued. Yeah, like they you, pull back. They pull back. They pull. You know, the camera is pulled back. It's a very quick, tasteful thing. And apparently, that was always that was a very deliberate choice uh, that they made. It was very. She was uh, the actress was very much saying like you know they told me they would wanted it to be very sharp and dignified. I think, I think she maybe used the word dignified. Um, but I think, and, and this is a point you made uh, in, our, in our discussion of the episode later, was that uh, 
the it's the violence it's the violence that really matters that we aren't really seeing on screen these days it's the it but meanwhile like the violence that <laughs> the violence that is essentially you know inconsequential is the stuff that really gets put front and center and so you have in con- you have in this episode like a very deliberate contrast between the death of Teresa and uh Clementine getting the shit kicked out of her and then kicking the shit out of somebody else yes which again like is an interesting quandary really like a moral quandary as well as an ethical quandary in that yeah she is brutally beaten and it almost feels like this is to, Clementine right Clementine was brutally beaten and you watch it in a very up close and personal fashion um, and then it's almost like an well it's okay that we showed that because she got hers like she came back and beat the shit out of the guy immediately right. after that. And then she dies. <laughs> so, well, she gets shot at least. Um, but it, it is. It's that interesting thing where it's a, it's kind of t- – that scene was much tougher to watch than the other scene. And you have to ask yourself why is that tougher to watch? Why do they want that to be harder to watch? And then because it didn't mean anything, because it was staged, why did we have to watch that? Why did it have to be so violent? Why did it have to be such a, a strong amount of violence against women? Why did mm-hmm. we have to see, like – I mean, the importance of that decision is something that I think is going to affect and be interpreted differently by people. Like, yeah. I think that's going to be a strong topic of discussion as much as his reveal, like as much as Bernard's reveal, it will be, you know, dominating the headlines and everything. Always from, always right. fun when one episode of television can generate at least five pieces of editorial. Yeah. Not at all not at all totally exhausting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is it feels almost like a complete reversal of what it feels like it should be, which is that, you know, the violent acts that really matter are the ones that we should be seeing in full and the violence that's inconsequential that's you know, not the violence is inconsequential like it's gratuitous to really show a lot of right. it is it gratuitous because it's inconsequential basically like, that's yeah uh, and then is it would it have been gratuitous if it was consequential so if we had to watch up a close and personal that poor uh god why do i keep forgetting her name too? clementine Cle- no 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 um the woman who died at the end uh, Teresa. Teresa. If we had to watch her be brutally beaten, or if we had the close-up shot of when, you know, Bernard did what he did, uh, would that have been gratuitous because we needed to see it for an emotional impact, because we needed to see it because this was so significant, because right. we needed to see it as a, you know, a, a shot of finality of something where it's not like, well, she could come back from the dead. Instead, they chose to do that differently. They chose to do that with more grace, with more dignity, with more respect paid to a character because we'd gotten to know her, whereas the character who is a robot, the character who isn't real, the character who hasn't quite reached the level of humanity that at least some of the other robots and then all of the humans have been distinguished as having, that was shot in a visceral way. But then it still comes back to she looks human. It feels human. This hurts. Like, this is uncomfortable. This is... And because it is ultimately inconsequential, other than adding up to a a twist of sorts, other than adding up to a a clever reveal, so to speak, I, I... it makes you wonder of the value behind that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge it's a huge topic and it digs into. I mean, the show, the shows, the show's engagement with the topic of violence against women has always been. They they seem interested in the conversation. They pay good lip service to it sometimes, but sometimes it's like, bro, you're not nailing it. Yeah, sometimes it feels like they they use it to prove a point. Sometimes it feels like they use it to their advantage. Like right. they use it to be explicit and to be gratuitous for the sake of 
having that reaction for the sake of just getting a reaction, yeah. which is where you get into dangerous territory. I mean, let's let's be clear about this. You and I spent opened this podcast by talking with some relative amount of glee about how great it was watching that guy and that horse explode. Absolutely. We don't even we don't understand why the horse exploded, but it was fun to watch it more than once. Well, it was very cartoonish. Like, yes. and that's kind of the thing that was weird about that too and and this isn't this doesn't bother me in the same way because it feels because it is cartoonish. It bothers me from a like dramatic judgment perspective mm-hmm. of Westworld has taken itself very seriously. Westworld is a show that is not here to be cute or funny or whatever. Like it's not a kitschy eighties movie. Like but then the freaking horse explodes. And that does feel like that. So it's kinda weird. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating topic and I honestly like if you have thoughts to share, I feel like Ben and I would be happy to hear them. Uh, you can of course email us at Liz at IndieWire.com and Ben at IndieWire.com. Uh, because I think because I don't think they're they're like like many things about Westworld, there's not an easy answer. And I I mean like the cartoonishness of the the whole train sequence, uh, I mean, worked for me just because I've gotten used to like all of the more Western grounded uh, action sequences having some level of that, like take last week where Teddy just goes bananas with that machine gun, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, sure. James Marsden with an old timey machine gun. This is delightful. This is entertainment. Uh, and right, it still but, had one foot in reality, though. Like it yeah. still had one foot grounded. Well, we weren't so. questioning whether or not how the machine gun worked, whereas sure. we do not understand why the horse yeah. exploded. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't need to question how the machine gun works. Right. Whereas you're almost asked to do it by however that scene was shot. But I, I guess I'm most curious in terms of a question. Right. Just what was your reaction to? to the entire Bernard sequence. I yeah. really want to know how you feel about him, how you felt about him before, and then how you feel about him after. Yeah, and how, then if you want to expand on that, feel free. How do you feel about Bernard now? Yeah, then and now, I think is a great is a great way to kind of simplify it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, still, it, it's still hella compelling. I think that's been one of the nice things about Westworld, and one of the things I'm really glad it delivered on was, you know, when, especially with the first season show, like we all, Things can go off the rails. Things, and more importantly, things can go off the rails, but things can also just fizzle out. Like, not to name names, vinyl, but you know, HBO does not have a perfect track record with creating like quote real quote unquote must see TV. And uh, I'm very happy that Westworld has at least remained intellectually engaging on a level that I think we were all hoping for. Yeah, at, at least on a high enough level so far. Like, yeah. it's clear that they could go a lot deeper with it and sometimes you really want them to and for the most part as of now it's just high enough where it doesn't feel like a betrayal of the of the scenarios like the the upteen scenarios presented at the beginning um and also yeah it's just been a very entertaining show from a strictly plot level like from a plot point of view yeah so so men beyond westworld what was the best thing you watched last week the best thing I watched last week, Liz, was the Better Things finale. Oh yeah. I. This will be a show that I am not going to spoil at all. I don't really think it's a show you can spoil that easily. Um, it's something you just kind of experienced a lot like Louie. I guess if you tried to just talk through the episode, that might ruin it a bit simply because it's not the same. You really need to watch it to appreciate all of the different elements and nuance that go into the presentation that evoke a lot of very strong emotions. But it is just such a beautiful, honest story told with such specificity to the people 
at its core to, to Pamela Adlon's character Sam and her three daughters. That's who it's about. They're not trying to cater to anybody else. They're not trying to bring in anything else. They are very much focused on this world because, one, it's something that's been underexplored on television. Two, they're just rich characters because they know how to write them. They know how to bring that out in them. Uh, and, and three, you don't need the rest. Like, you don't need it. Like, and you can feel that when you watch every one of the episodes, especially the finale, which is just a beautiful, beautiful episode of TV. Yeah, it's one of those shows where I remember I was I, I binged my way through the last half of the season uh, after uh, FX gave us the screeners. And I remember being really struck by just basically how you know, if you if I pointed to an episode, tried to figure out, tried to describe like the plot to you in like a couple of lines, it would it wouldn't really mean anything. But the execution of what happens every week is in every episode is on such a level that it this it, it just remains striking. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, what's kind of great about it is. Yeah, like you're saying, if you read an episode description of it, which, by the way, the ones on the FX press site, I think those are the same ones that exist, like, on the actual website, are pretty hilarious because they literally, a lot of them sound similar, where it's like, Sam goes to pick up her daughters from school, or, like, Sam and her daughters get into a predicament. Like, they actually kind of make a joke out of just how, you know, we're not going to tell you what's going on here because that can't really encapsulate what's going on here. Um, but yeah, the, the technical execution of it from a writing and a directorial level are excellent and superb, and they evoke so much on their own. But also, you can really see inside of these stories because of the people at the core, like because of these, because of the choice uh, in making these characters into the main characters and not treating the kids as something like as a as a detriment to her dating life or as a you know something that's just kind of existing in the background to cause drama within her own personal life they have their own lives and she's trying to engage with them and you feel that very strongly from both perspectives from all perspectives and uh, there's a lot to be said in how it's being told so like when you watch it when you engage with it in that way you can really draw out some beautiful stories about life like some beautiful implications about life and that's kind of what has been great to hold on to when the season finally ramped um but anyway, make sure you watch it. FX, I think season two is coming. Do season two's been, season two is happening, though. Okay. It's actually interesting uh, because I think Better Things in Atlanta got renewed for second seasons in the same press release or something. And what was important about what's important about noting that is that Atlanta season two has been officially, uh, officially unofficially delayed because of that whole thing where Donald Glover is going to be Lando Calrissian uh, in the young in the young Han Solo movie. So. Atlanta's been delayed. We don't know for how long. FX is notoriously just kind of chill about letting its creators take as long as they damn well want. Um, but I, I mean, I can't imagine, like, Better Things in Atlanta have always been paired together, but I imagine this will split them up a bit and let Better Things kind of stand on its own for its second season. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the framework in which we receive information about these shows was the same because they were coming out at roughly the same time. Um, they aired on different nights, which was good, and they're clearly very different shows uh, about very different people. But, um, but yeah, I, I would hope that Better Things follows a more traditional path to season two, timing-wise, just because we need it. Like, it's a, it's an important show, and it, it's got a very unique voice that we don't want to see disappear, even for a slightly longer than normal amount of time. So, Liz. Yes. Speaking of Better Things... What was the best thing you watched last week? 
I finally got to catch up with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Season 2. And all of it remains very strong, very exciting television. Uh, but in particular, I wish to call out the I tap that. Uh, I, ta- I tap that ass uh, dance number from episode four, which aired uh, as you're listening to this last Friday. It, we actually have an exclusive clip of it uh, on, not exclusive, I think it's a roundabout. But you can find, you can f- go to IndieWire.com and you can find uh, a clip from it. But it's really wonderful because it shows off, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on their names. Uh, I think it's Vincento Rodriguez the third. Vincent Rodriguez the third. I, I, it's like Silvestro, isn't it? Okay. No, well, there's um, there's Santino Cabrero, who plays who plays Greg, and I'm trying to remember who plays Josh. Um, but both of them are extraordinary tap dancers. Oh yeah, Vincent Rodriguez the third, Santino yes. Fontana. Thank you, Santino Fontana. Thank you. Um, wow, I mixed up those names. Sorry about that. Uh, but anyways, two great talents, two amazing tap dancers. And they very deliberately constructed the scene as an ode to classic, like Donald O'Connor, Gene Kelly tap numbers. Like if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen "Sing in the Rain," you know what I'm talking about. Those two men can dance their asses off, and uh, the two boys from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend more than lived up to their legacy. And it was delightful, and I, it was so many good jokes in it, and it was. Good, happy, making fun time television. Lots of good wordplay. Though I will note that in terms of the tap, there was a distinct absence of the clickety clack yes. because they're in tennis shoes. Yeah, which is fair. Like, yeah. no, it's not a not a problem. It doesn't I mean, take I, away from actually, it really. actually, if they had added the tap noises, I probably would have been happier. Yeah. But the actual dancing was incredible. I like right. the visceral sound of the tap. Yeah. Point so is, it has its place. Point is, even if, if you, even if you don't watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend, if you like a good musical number. Find that clip, watch it. It's incredible. That being said, if you like a good musical number, you probably should be watching Craziest Girlfriend. You'll yeah. Be, you will enjoy it. Like, I don't. So, hey, I know people who are weirded, still weirded out by the title. Still. I, but that's that's kind of the point. Like, even if you're weirded out by it and you sample it and you get into the musical elements of it, you will soon be sucked into the world outside of the title and look past it. Yes. Fingers crossed. So, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, the next thing I'm looking forward to, Liz, is another finale. You're the worst two-part season three finale airing oh, Wednesday. Oh, my God. They're doing it as week. a two-parter? Yes. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. It's going to be an hour of crazy oh. emotions based on that last one. So if oh. you're not caught up on You're the Worst season three, make sure you do. It has been a pretty, pretty wild ride. I mean, I hate using that kind of bullshit reviewer terminology, but... They have experimented in a lot of fresh ways this season, both with kind of the individual arcs within episodes and a longer arc related to Jimmy. Like he, Chris Gear has been just magnificent this year in portraying various stages of grief and this character's very specific interpretation of those stages and like how exactly he copes with it. I mean, it's... It's pretty impressive when you kind of step back and actually look at what he's been doing and, and how varied it is. I, I'm, I've been very impressed with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm always happy to be watching You're the Worst. I'm especially both excited and worried, worried for the narrative purposes, excited because of the simple fact it's great to go into a finale when you literally have no idea what's going to happen and – it could go anyway. Like it could, it could go in a million different ways, and they could all be good. 
Yes. It's going to be a very good television. Hopefully it won't break us break our hearts too bad. Yeah. I don't I I have too much faith. I don't think it can. Like mm-hmm. I without spoiling, I just I feel like even if the worst happens in terms of the narrative, it's not the end. There's ha- another season coming, so we're going to be okay. Wait, how do, how, how do you know more than me? Have you watched – they haven't put the finale up yet for screening purposes, have they? No. Okay. Good. What do you mean? I feel like you know secrets that I don't know. I don't know secrets. I'm okay. saying if the worst happens – you, you just mentioned spoilers. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil exactly what I mean when I say the worst. Okay. You know what I mean. You do should we? know what I mean if you watched the last episode. Hmm. I see your I see your point. Come on, Liz. I'm keeping up as best I can, man. It's Friday. I hear that. All right, Liz, send us out. What's the next thing you're looking forward to? Technically, I am putting this on here mostly to shame myself. Uh, I tech I still haven't watched the affair yet. Uh, it was my next thing last week, and so it's still my next thing that I'm looking forward to watching. Um, but also I'm going to throw, out a sh- throw in a shout out to an MTV show I really want to try out called Sweet Vicious, which is, I don't know much about it. I just know it experiments with form and function, a formula in an interesting way. I think, it's, I think there might be some fourth wall breaking, that sort of thing. I don't know. I've heard good things. I'm going to try to check it out this weekend. Sweet Vicious. Yes. And for those curious, I am literally on the last episode of season seven of Gilmore Girls. Oh, boy. Yep. So... Uh, I so I guess next week I'll just say that the next thing I'm looking forward to is more Gilmore Girls. Maybe unless Nick. like you're so pissed off by the finale that you're just like, you know what? I'm done with this show. You you really think I would watch seven seasons at 22 episodes each and then give up on a show? If it angered you, like I've seen you angered in the past, then absolutely. What have you seen me angry at a show in the past? So many times, Liz. Uh, can't even list them. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Anyways, X Files. Well, I, but yeah, but I'll keep watching that. Yeah. In my grave, yeah, I'll be watching. That's because you're too invested. I know. That's the problem. It's anytime, a different investment. It's a longer investment than what you've done with Gilmore Girls. Yes. The thing, the problem is that anytime, if I'm angry enough to really be mad at a show, I'm probably emotionally invested in it on some level. Fair. Um, anyways, point is, uh, you can read all about this stuff uh, and our continued musings on the world of television that we that makes us angry enough to yell at it at IndieWire.com, where you can also find reviews, interviews, features, and et cetera. And there are so many podcasts. I'm not even going to list them this week. I feel like you know them by now. I, it, just go to IndieWire, click on the tab for podcasts. You're going to see a plethora of options, and they're all great. So listen up. Yeah, podcasts. They're good. You know this because you're listening to ours, and you can go to Stitcher and iTunes and all those things and rate us. Right. And, I mean, if you're listening to ours, then I can assure you the others are better, so you're going to enjoy them. Yeah. And you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. That's correct. Uh, We'll be back next week, and you guys take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be nice to each other. It's going to be a rough time. I think we're looking forward to – not a lot in the next couple of months, but we can look forward to this. We can keep watching television.